you're listening to the American Mill Spouse. I'm your host, Elizabeth Smith. I'm excited to introduce my friend Courtney to you this week. When I started this podcast a year ago, I started out talking to my friends, my mill spouse friends who I was lucky enough to convince to come chat with me. And since then, this has definitely evolved and I've had the chance to talk to so many incredible spouses who I never would have had the chance to meet otherwise, but it is really fun when I get the chance to throw it back and talk to one of my own mill spouse buddies. And that is absolutely what Courtney is. And she and I had a really special conversation about largely just about this last year and what that's looked like for her and what uh, she's been through with her family. Her mom had some major health challenges that were not COVID, but Uh, essentially came about due to some of the additional challenges that come along with COVID and it's not it was not an easy experience and it's it's a heartbreaking story but it was also just really something that I think can be helpful to other people because this has been a tough year for a lot of people in a lot of different ways and COVID itself has been difficult and challenging and scary and some of the the side effects of COVID have as well and that's that's a bit of what we touch on here so I am just grateful to Courtney for her her openness and and her sweet and caring heart in the way that she shares this story with us so uh, let's get started Hi, I'm Courtney. I am married to my husband, Ryan, who is a Strike Eagle pilot. We currently live in North Carolina. I am 30 years old. I have a three-year-old daughter and a seven-month-old son, and I'm an ICU nurse by trade, but currently I've been staying at home ever since we had kids. They're so they're getting so big. I can't believe she's three, but... I know. They're growing up so fast. It's crazy. I know. I know. And how do you feel like becoming a mom? How do you feel like that's impacted your role as a military spouse? I think being a mom just changes like so many aspects of your life. I feel like you were doing one thing and now you're doing another thing. I think it like on like a general sense, like impacts like your friendships kind Mm -hmm. of in some sense, because you have your friend group and then you have kids and you still have that friend group but then your kids start meeting friends. So then you want to incorporate that. So then your kids' friends become parents, become your friends and things like that, I think is one way that it like changes your daily interactive life. Mm-hmm. I also think sometimes people that don't have kids don't always want to always do things with kids and people with kids don't always want to do things without kids. So it kind of impacts your friend group that way. Yeah. And even logistically, sometimes that's, well, if the thing is at seven 30, <laughs> like you just can't. And that's, yes, and seven uh, 30 is very, convenient. Yeah. And that's a very reasonable uh, grown up time to do things. But I think that kind of, even the friends who, you know, you do have kids and they don't, and it just like logistically creates a little bit of a divide because you, you can't be at the things. And it's like, well, I, I'm always free at 8 a.m. when we've been up for two hours. Does anyone want to hang out then? (laughs) Exactly. Do you want to get coffee then? I mean, obviously we always want to do Mm -hmm. everything and we have that desire to do that. But when you have kids, your priorities change and you have to make that known. I do think that I also, this is like sort of morbid, I guess, but I think having kids changes your like outlook on like the worst possible scenario from a, a military spouse in that way. 
And I mean, we all think about that when we get married. I mean, it's just even more so now, like mm. with all recently. But I think once you have kids, you realize like you've been moving across the country with your husband for his job, following in his footsteps, you're away from family. And then the worst possible thing happens. Okay. So now what do I do? Do mm. I stay here? Do I go live with family? Do I start over? Your income source changes. Mm-hmm. Like now I'm a stay-at-home mom now because I'm blessed to do that because of Ryan's job, but most likely I would have to go back to work. So then my yeah. kids' life changes in that way. Yeah. I think that there's, there's definitely in general, I know for me, there's definitely, and I'm, I'm like a planner by nature, but just like further emphasize my need for a a plan and then a plan B and then, and then a plan C, you know, for just about everything. And of course, none of those plans ever happen with the military anyway, but I just keep on doing it. And then, yeah, I think you're right that it's, I just think kids are sort of like, it's like another step in that further, I don't want to say commitment because that's not the right word, but just like further, like intertwining your lives with someone who, like you said, oftentimes who's like, you may have given up or changed a career for and you move around with and all these different things that it just takes. There's this another piece of that, that God forbid anything happen. Yeah. And no one wants to think that way, but it's like, if it happens now, if it ever happens, what do I tell my kids? We've been like, especially now when they're so young, it's so difficult to explain. And they're at this age where they don't really understand. Oh, daddy flies airplanes. That's super cool. But they are like in this sacrificial part of their life that they don't even realize that they're sacrificing. They're sacrificing friend groups. They're sacrificing Mm -hmm. a normal childhood experience. I mean, even just today, one of Reagan's friends moved away and they had to say goodbye. And Mm -hmm. it was the first time I think she truly like I was at the age where she understood like Mm -hmm. they're leaving and not coming back. And it was a little bit heartbreaking. Truly that devastates me. Like the thought of that for Reagan, I could start sobbing. And that's like something about motherhood that not to say I didn't expect, but just never thought about. And of course, knowing, like knowing in the military life that having kids that would happen, but yeah, like just them saying goodbye to people. And especially like, it's also really hard for me, like grandparents or people who they probably wouldn't have to say goodbye to if we weren't doing this. You know what I mean? Exactly. We would probably live closer to them and see them more often. And so the idea of them missing anyone like because of our choices is so heartbreaking. And it's just, I don't want you to ever be sad. You know, I want to keep you from anything that makes you sad. And of course I can't do that. But then when it also sort of feels like it's a product of our life and our choosing, it's just like, am I doing this to you? (laughs) We did choose this. And they didn't choose this, but at the same time, like kids are resilient and Mm -hmm. we've obviously said goodbye to plenty of people, but Reagan was just not an age where she said bye and didn't really know what bye meant. She'll talk about people from Idaho, but she just doesn't always get the gist of the goodbye. And today she was like, I'm a little bit sad. And I was like, oh, don't say that. Mommy's barely holding it together. So you can't be a little bit sad. <laughs> I know. I was like, yeah. wow, well, this is hitting you. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And kind of shifting gears a little bit, but like I said, kind of going back to grandparents and that just the missing of them. And I know that's something that's 
really hard for both Kyle and I, because we both grew up near a lot of family, near grandparents and all that kind of stuff. And I know that this has been a pretty wild past year for you with your mom and everything that she went through. Can you share a little bit more about that? Sure. That is a loaded question. (laughs) It has definitely been a year for sure. So my mom has a rare blood disorder called porphyria. We'll just simplify it. I also have it, but she's had it for 40 years. She got diagnosed a long time ago. And normally when she has like a flare up or we call her like just getting sick, she has to go to the hospital and get some IV medication. Usually it's an outpatient thing. And after a couple of days, she's feeling better. This past July, she was having another flare up, but due to COVID and hospital policies, she wasn't allowed to be an outpatient and go back and forth. She had to be an inpatient. So she did. And due to a misplaced IV in her artery rather than a vein, she suffered a severe stroke, which left her requiring now pretty much 24-hour care. That's the short version. So she was in the ICU, like intubated on dialysis, tons of complications for about six weeks or so, and then went to outside rehab facilities for about three months, like with physical therapy, occupational therapy, things like that. And she has been home. I say that in like quotation marks since November, which is obviously a huge blessing from where we started, but still a long way off from where we were. She currently lives in my parents' living room. She's wheelchair bound, requires 24-hour care, like I said. So someone's always there to help her do things. And she's still doing outpatient therapy to try to learn to like walk and write again, like all the fine motor skills and things like that. She has like limited mobility of her left side and our lives are just completely different Yeah, than they were a year ago. Right. And I mean, first of all, and I know we've talked a little bit before about it, but I mean, it's obviously just heartbreaking. And I hate that that's something that your family's gone through. And I know you were able to be there for a little bit. What's it been like for you? Because obviously that's just a devastating situation regardless. And then you know, you you spoke a little bit about that beforehand, but you know, the still being a mom and a wife and not living near home. And how did you juggle all that? And how, how did you manage? I don't know if I managed it well, but it's kind of like, I mean, just like being a military spouse, you can't control anything like in this life, just like most people. And we had no control of what happened to my mom. And I was about six months pregnant with Kaden when this happened ish, probably around then. And so originally when she was in the hospital, I was just like, okay, just a normal thing. She'll be fine. And then when things took a turn for the worse, I packed my bags for Reagan and I, and didn't know how long we were going to go and went there. And just really, I just wanted to be there for dad. I mean, usually mom is there for him. And since she couldn't, I was like, well, we have to go. And so we went and I tried to be there in whatever way he needed, whether it was like emotional support, which he definitely needed, 
help around the house. I mean, my mom did it all, cleaned, mm-hmm. cooked, errands, everything. So I tried to do that. I tried to, obviously I had Reagan, so take care of her. Ryan was able to be there for a little bit in the beginning. So that was helpful. So I could be there for my dad and listen to phone calls and help explain things and just kind of do that kind of stuff. And then Ryan's parents also live close to where my parents live. So they were able to help with Reagan a bunch too, which was super helpful to just have help when I needed it, especially because I'm not used to having extra family help when you need it. So that was a blessing in disguise for that, for sure. And is it something, is your mom aware of everything that went down at this point? Is she, does she? Yeah, she's definitely aware of what happened. I don't think she completely grasped like how far she's come from the very beginning. Okay. And just like how sick and how dire the situation was in the beginning and how far we've come. It's in some ways difficult because she's definitely still my mom, but Mm -hmm. has moments where And she'll admit this too, where she's just like, I'll say when we go to visit, like, oh, well, where's this bowl? And she'll be like, oh, it's right down there. I'll get it. And she's totally thinks that she can go to the basement and just go get Mm -hmm. the bowl. And then I was like, okay, mom. And then she's like, I don't know why I said that. I thought I could go and do it. And so things like that, it's heartbreaking to realize that she wants to so bad and she just can't. Right. Do you feel like it was a blessing to have your your medical background during that experience? Because I ask because as someone without one, sometimes I see that as a blessing because I can sort of like take like the fluff that a doctor says and cling to that. Do you feel like you were were you more grateful for for your knowledge or kind of wishing maybe you didn't know all the details? It was both. Yeah. <laughs> I would say Some days I was grateful so that I could explain it to my dad because he really didn't understand a lot of the things. I mean, he understands a lot, but like when they would use words like edema, which means swelling or things, he's like, what is that? Mm -hmm. And so that was helpful. He looked to me to explain those things, but at the same time, sometimes doctors would say something and I would literally just put my head down and start bawling. And they would ask my dad, like, well, do you know what that means? And my dad would say, well, based on my daughter's reaction, I'm going to go with not good. Mm -hmm. And so it was this like hard line of trying to be there and use my knowledge to help, but realizing that I've sat in tons of family end of life conversations or hard conversations when things aren't going well and been the supportive nurse presence Mm -hmm. to help a family through that. And it's just totally different when you're the family member and not the nurse doing it, Mm -hmm. just how backwards and role reversal you feel your life just took a turn. Yeah. Obviously, you know, what happened to cause all of this is its own thing, but then do you feel like because of COVID, how much were you able to like, could you be at the hospital or, you know, what was your ability when it came to like kind of being her advocate as she was going through all this? Well, in the beginning, it was kind of non-existent due to COVID. There was no visitors allowed. 
so our communication, my dad's communication in the very beginning with my mom was all on the phone. And then as she deteriorated, it was like dad talking to the doctors or nurses. And then once I was in Ohio, I was able to listen into the doctor and nurses conversations when he, when they called dad, but it's hard to be a patient advocate with COVID later on in the hospital stay. My dad was able to go and visit her, but at that point, like the issues have already happened. And so like, yes, the visitation obviously probably helped my mom, but we really needed all that help and advocacy in the beginning. Yeah. Right. And I think COVID is real. Some people will argue that one way or another, but everyone can agree that this was a real thing that affected the country and Mm -hmm. pandemics aren't going to go away. They've been here in the past and they'll be here in the future. And it's just so important, I think, for people who are sick to have someone to fight for them, especially when they can't fight for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I just think that if you can't have visitors, when you can't speak for yourself and when that's the time you need it the most, sometimes things get missed. And when things get missed is when people's lives change. Yeah. Get turned completely upside down. And I just think that if they're not going away, like pandemics aren't going away. And if, I mean, my dad was begging to let someone let him in, like begging, he would beg anyone who would ask. And I think if people are willing to go in to fight for their loved ones, then I think we need to find a way moving forward to be able to protect them properly so that they can do it. I mean, we let nurses and doctors go in and x-ray tech, you know, everybody else who has to work in the hospital or whatever. So I feel like if we have family members in situations and they're willing to expose themselves to the risk and know the risk and the benefit, then I think it can make a huge difference in people's lives. I mean, humans, as human beings, we all want to be nurtured. We all want to be taken care of and felt heard. And especially when you're sick. Right. And I'm sure that there were so many different situations. Obviously your mom's being, being our example, but it's, you know, people also who have an advocate in their life in general prior to this, who needed someone who had to, that would regularly advocate for them on a daily basis, you know, people who had depended on that and then are find themselves in a hospital situation where they're not able to have that person, you know, that's, that's really, and again, like you said, not, I understand that COVID has just turned everything upside down and that it was, it came from a place, I think of trying to do the right thing and trying to keep people safe. But like you said, it's what's the trade-off and that there are times when, and I, and there's a lot, and you, there's, I was reading up on some of that, you know, there's a lot of research about the importance of advocates and the difference between people who have, you know, family members present in their just their recovery rate rates for different things because it, because they, they notice things. Yeah. Like how often the family member notices someone who's septic, for instance, you know, that it's like, they'll catch that before doctors because oftentimes it's the first signs are just 
abnormal things for that person, you know, not necessarily huge red flags. And every patient presents differently. Right. And people who have family members that are constantly around them, you notice things when things are different that and you can create a problem. Mm-hmm. And when I was working in the ICU, you could definitely see a difference in patients, whether they were sedated or not, that had visitors come and see them mm-hmm. and those that didn't. The mm-hmm. outcomes, I mean, there's tons of studies, like you just said, about that are drastically different. And I agree. I understand we were trying to keep people safe and covid came out of nowhere and no one knew what to do. And we just went whoosh and everyone was like, ah, and that's how it was. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we have to, it is, it's like, what's the, there has to be a line and we have to be able to address both issues equally because things get missed and things happen. And then it changes people's lives forever. Mm -hmm. And there has to be a way to balance that so that it doesn't happen again. Right. Right. How do you feel like having been through this and we kind of touched on the, just the juggling of it all and try, you know, kind of trying to be all these different roles and how do you feel like you've changed through this process? Oh, wow. I think in the very beginning when everything was happening, I was an emotional wreck. Being pregnant probably didn't help because your emotions are already all over the place anyway. And I was just like, what is happening? And I was just thinking about how I don't want to lose my mom. I had just turned 30, literally the same week this all happened. And I was like, this is just not how I envisioned my life going. Right. And then as things progressed, and got more serious for a little bit. It was trying to wrap my brain around, like, is this going to be the reality? Is my mom going to be here when I have this baby? Is my mom going to be here to watch my kids grow up? Is she going to still be my mom? Like, is this all going to happen? Mm -hmm. And so I just went through like the different stages. And then as things got better, I guess, in quotation marks, Mm -hmm. if you want to say that, right. Better is probably not the right word, but better than the dire situation. Say yeah, less dire. Right. Yeah. My thoughts change to, okay, so what does the new normal look like? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've told tons of people this, even as she went in rehab and getting close to coming home. So she came home like the same week that I had Caden. And people were like, how's your mom doing, et cetera. And I was like, honestly, I can't even like process everything. They're like, how are you going to do with your mom not coming? I couldn't process it. I was just like, I'm just going to have the baby. And I'm sure once I have Caden, then I will start processing all these things that I'm going to miss and that she is going to miss because I was just kind of like suppressing it. I was not in denial. Like I was accepting, like, this is what is happening to me, but I was just like refusing to accept it. And you wonder too, how much of that was just kind of like your, your body and your psyche, like doing its best to, to take things one step at a time. And you know, that like having a child is a humongous thing, you know, like that in itself, having a child in a perfect scenario, you know, where every, where everyone else is well and good, like it's huge. And I can see your mind just being like, let's get through this. 
one step at a time, I can't process the the grief of that and also bring a life into the world right now. Yeah. And so it was kind of just like putting stuff on the back burner, even though I knew I had to accept it. And then I went through this stage of we went to visit my parents in December, a couple of days after Christmas. And so Caden was almost two months old at that point. Cause you know, you just have a baby. You can't really just get in a car or get in an airplane and right. be like, let's go. Takes a little <laughs> bit of adjustment period yeah. there. And we walked in and that was the first time that I had seen my mom since everything had happened also. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it was an emotional moment all the way around, but oh, gosh, yeah. We sat there and we put Caden like on her lap, like in the bed so she could hold him per se. And my mom and dad both started crying. And it was just this emotional moment of my dad went through all these family meetings and everything like that. And he just sat there and he said, this is what we said yes to, to get to this day right here so that you can meet him. And it was just like, it was so true. Every decision my dad made and consulted us on was to get mom to hold her grandson. And she got to do that, which mm-hmm. we didn't think was going to happen. So it truly is, Ugh. was like coming full circle in that way. Um, yeah. And at the same time of that, it's still a struggle today. I mean, a year out, we're still... Reagan doesn't remember like my mom, like playing with her on the floor and like doing mm-hmm. all these things that she's done plenty of times before everything happened. Mm-hmm. She's at that like impressionable age where she remembers my mom now. And so okay. when they do things now, like at the table and they eat breakfast together or things like that, it's just different. And Caden obviously will have none of the memories that Reagan or experiences that Reagan had with my mom before all this happened. And so it's just, and I know it's hard for her too. This isn't obviously what anyone wanted, but she just wants, she likes her grandkids better than she likes her kids. So (laughs) I think that's probably every parent. I think that happens a lot. Yeah. Especially mine. (laughs) They, they, They get away with a lot more, at least that's for sure. Yes. So, I mean, it's just... I have good days and bad days. I guess that's a way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of emotion that, I mean, just hearing you talk about it, I feel like I, like there's the joy of, you know, like you said, her getting to hold Caden and being here. And there's like the anger I feel for your family, you know, and for the fact that this didn't have to happen and all of the different, all the different things that go into everything you've been through. I can't even imagine how each day varies can I imagine based on what parts of it you're you're focused on and what you're looking at each day and that impacting it but yeah it's I a roller coaster a yeah. roller coaster for everyone absolutely yeah I mean and I mean you're you guys are amazing your whole family your mom obviously and all of you for just walking through all of this in in a year where everyone was just getting by that you're managing this and a newborn and a three-year-old, which oh, yeah, just you, know, like, you know, having a baby wasn't enough. I just, you know, goodness for real. I mean, that's just incredible, but you're, um, you grew up military, right? Your parents are 
Yes, my dad was an Air Force pilot also. So he was did 21 years in the Air Force. So I'm a military brat, I guess. Yeah. And so do you feel like that helps a little bit with the, obviously not in this instance, like I know you just want to be home, but do you feel like your parents have more of kind of an understanding of like your life and the demands of it and everything that goes into this? Definitely. I think they are very much totally get this life and understand the travel demands and the schedule and the moving and every aspect of it. Obviously they wish we could be closer and I could be there and they could see their grandkids more, probably more than anything, but they totally get, I think this is the life they chose and now we chose it. And so we have to accommodate the best way we know how. Yeah. And growing up in it, obviously you saw, you know, you saw your mom do it. You saw people be military spouses. How is it compared to maybe what you thought it would be like as a kid? Easier, harder, different? I think it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe both in some, I feel like as a military kid, I didn't have a choice when we moved. I didn't have a choice like, oh, would you like to go here? Like, do you want to give an opinion about something? No, we, no one cares about the kid's opinion. <laughs> Just don't. I mean, like, honestly, yeah, we don't really factor the kid's opinion in. And at the same time as a kid, I saw my mom like be like the person that holds down the fort all the time when my dad is gone mm-hmm. and being a spouse I knew like now I'm that person that's holding down the fort when Ryan is gone. So it's like, we've come full circle in a way. Like I watched my mom do it and now I'm doing it. And, but at the same time, now I get an opinion or, you know, we get opinions. We don't get to actually choose, but I get an opinion discussing with Ryan, like, Oh, would you like to go here or here? And so I just feel like it's this full circle event of, I watched my parents live this life and now I'm, living a replica of it in that my mom did this and now I'm doing this. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And you do have to tell us the cool thing that your dad did. Oh yes. So my dad flew air force one, which is very cool. I mean, I thought it was cool as a kid, but as you get older, it's more honorable. And I always joke because like you go to a base or a new assignment and everyone's like, Oh, what do you do or whatever. And especially in the fighter community, the guys are always out competing one another about like, Oh, well, my dad did this. And I'm like, and they're always fighting about something. And, you know, it's like, Oh, well, my dad did this. And people are like, Oh, that's not cool. And so I'll tell people what my dad did. And then they're like, it's like the one thing that fighter pilots even think is cool. Like it's not cool if your dad flew a fighter plane, but it is cool if your dad flew air force one. So I (laughs) always Ryan's like, somehow that's always gets out everywhere we go. But I feel like you were point. I didn't somehow, I didn't know that, which is so funny because I'm so, I don't know how you didn't know, I know that. but it also makes me laugh. Cause it's like the other day you text me when you're listening to the episode and you're like, I didn't know you were married before. And I'm like, I didn't know. And we've like been together a hundred times, but, but yeah, I didn't know that. And I, I mean, I agree. It's a pretty solid Trump card. Like that's pretty dang cool. Yeah. It's something that is just like this experience I have now I have these memories of, so my dad was a part of the first trip to Iraq on Thanksgiving. Mm. 
2003 when George W. Bush went there for Thanksgiving. Wow. And that was like a cool, I found out about it at the same time the rest of America did. We're watching TV and then I get a phone call and my dad is calling and he's like, are you watching the news? Yes, we are. You're not where we thought you were. (laughs) How's it going? So like everyone else in America found out, we also found out. So it is kind of this, that's like a cool thing. And I I also got to meet George W. Bush. Oh, wow. So Air Force One also does Finney flights in case you didn't know. So it's just like you think you hose every, hose them down and everything. So it's just like in the fighter community. That's funny. Yes. You would expect it to be like a little bit more formal or a little more subdued, but it's it's no more formal whatsoever. (laughs) They all act like a bunch of idiots. And (laughs) I mean, it's just complete chaos, but before the chaos, we got to go up on in the plane and they told us we were going to meet the president. And I was like, I was, I mean, my dad retired. I was a senior in high school. Okay. So a long time ago. And we walk in, well, they told us we're going to meet him. So like we walk into this room of the plane and I'm expecting us to wait there and like George W. Bush to appear himself like later. But I just walk in and there he is. And I'm like, oh, hello. (laughs) So I see you, sir. And it just was like totally off guard. But he was very, my dad always talked about how personable man he was and a president he was and it showed he knew things like about me and my sister my mom like personal things to like relate to us which was kind of just like a cool it just made like you instead of just seeing the position you can see like the man behind the position and that was like a cool experience that obviously not a lot of people get to have yeah like very humanizing which is really neat yeah and he does definitely seem like somebody who would just be nice to Nice to talk to. That's one of Kyle's favorite things that I say is when I, when I make the joke about, you know, like I want to, I want somebody who I would want to have a beer with, you know, like that whole thing. And it's true. Like someone who I I can appreciate just someone who you can have, who can hop on my podcast for an hour. Very down to earth. And I mean, when, especially when you're in high school, I don't think you expect to meet the president. And then when you do, and it's just like, such a personable, friendly conversation mm-hmm. and you expect it to be this like formal event. It was right. just, it really does change things. It was, it was cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So I'm assuming it was most of the time when he was going places, I'm guessing you pretty much didn't know where he was going or. Yeah. And I think that's true. I think also like as a kid, you just kind of like, and I'm sure as our kids will do, oh, daddy's on another trip. Okay. Like, and you just kind of like, it was just one of those things. My dad did a really good job. Like he was obviously gone a lot, especially during that job, but he did a really good job of being home when he was home. And anytime he was home, if I had a sporting event or recital or celebration of something, he was there. Mm -hmm. And so that was just something that really stuck home for me. And hopefully Ryan and I can carry that on with our kids because Mm -hmm. it really did make an impact that he may have been gone a lot. And I'm sure after he's flown to Iraq, he really had zero desire to sit in a piano recital, but there he was. Yeah. But I think they do. I think they do have that desire because I think that's the part, you know, that's that's a, just as much a part of their life. And I know what you're saying when it comes to like the 
the magnitude of one thing versus the other, but I think it's a big part of their life as well. And I know that there are things already, the girls are super small, but things that if Kyle can't be at or whatever, that he, he struggles with that because it's a demanding lifestyle, but they certainly don't want to miss anything. And yeah, I think it is like this torn between their like two loves of, yeah. if you say like they love what they do, but they love their family. And I mean, I know when the Tigers deployed for the first time, Ryan missed like a crucial developmental period of Reagan's life. Like the 10 month to 15 month range, a lot changed. Yeah. And so, I mean, he missed her first steps. He missed all sorts of things. And we're just now entering like that stage with Caden of like right around the time when they left. And so I was like, this is the time that you missed. And now hopefully you can experience it. Sure. Yeah, that's very true. And that's tough. And there are, there are, it's never easy, but there are different ages where that's, there are big things that you, because it goes really fast when they're small. And I think that the, the good part, like when I think back to Annie, like she was small. So she, like, she didn't know to miss him yet, Yeah. but like you said, things are happening so fast. And so he's missing all these things. Well, like good thing she doesn't know bad thing it's a whole bunch of stuff (laughs) do you think that Annie has like changed in that way like if Kyle goes on a trip now do you notice a difference I've definitely started noticing with her that I don't not so much Kyle because and we actually have been so a year ago you know he did TPS so that was a year of pretty much he was around and then even his trips got canceled because of COVID so that worked out. Right. I was like, oh no. But he he's had a few TDYs, but more so when people visit. So like when if grandparents are here and it's like, will they be here tomorrow? Will they be here the next day? Because I think that's the that's what she knows everybody's gonna leave. And that, you know, grandparents are way more fun than parents. So I think she she's more sensitive to that than him right now. And I think that's he did do like a back-to-back, like two weeks gone home for like five days and then gone for two weeks. And that was tough. Like those five days, like when she knew he was leaving again, she was like devastated. Like we were literally like, what day do we tell her? And Cece's like not quite there yet. But yeah, like when we did tell her, she was just like, whoa. Which was like, I know. Like when the when they went on the deployment, Reagan obviously was too little to like, mm-hmm. completely understand. like she could look at the phone and be like, Oh, dad, dad, that's irrelevant. But when Ryan went on his first TDY kind of near, it was back when we were in Ohio, we stayed in Ohio and he went on the TDY and it w- hit her more than I thought she was going to realize. She was like, yeah. what do you mean daddy is leaving? It was really hard for her to grasp. And it could also have been because there was a thousand other changes and things happening in her life at that current point, but it's just interesting to see their little brains work at such a stage. They definitely noticed that shift. I think like they noticed the, those changes and like they're as much of a routine as you have at that age, but yeah. And he doesn't like it. She doesn't like those changes (laughs) at all, but I think any kid really likes change. Right. Right. Most adults don't either. Also true. That is also true. I too don't like when he goes on TDY. So <laughs> like, does I, yeah, I mean, I don't either. Sometimes Ryan's like, but then you just get all this me time. And I'm like, mm, no, not with I two get, kids. No, I no. A lot of kid time <laughs> yeah. with just me. Yay. Exactly. Exactly. 
it's just me and kids time. Yeah, I agree. That's something. And that's something that I like kind of uh, kick myself with, like before we had kids. I'm like, man, when he was gone before kids, I should have been so much lazier. Like I should have just laid, I should have laid for two weeks because I, I could. I say that all the time. <laughs> I'm like, what, what did I do with all my free time before I had kids? And I'm like, I was cleaning the house. I'm like doing all these random projects. Yeah. Why? Why did I do that? <laughs> Just be still. Be still. Why didn't I read all the books and go yeah. visit all the places that I wanted to see mm-hmm. and eat at all the restaurants that are not kid friendly? That's also true. I know we definitely should have gone to fancier restaurants sooner, but that time will come again. We'll get back to it. For now, it's about 15 years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I do want to shift gears a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean completely and do our (laughs) rapid fire section. Okay. Okay. First one is who's your favorite musician? Probably Carrie Underwood. Good one. That is probably my husband's favorite musician, too. (laughs) Those guys. It's I the lens. I know. I know. No kidding. But honestly, I wish I had her leg. Oh, same. Exactly. I'm like, I can't be like, I can't be upset. Like, I get it a thousand percent. I agree with you. I think she's I on know. my list. I, I mean, but she was even gorgeous, like in her American Idol audition. Yeah. She <laughs> just is naturally beautiful. She's just beautiful. She is. And so ridiculously talented and seems to be. She's the whole so package, nice. as Ryan says. I know. I know. Anyway, if you could change one thing about Mill's spouse life, what would it be? Probably a lot of things. No, probably that you could stay like at an assignment for longer mm. if you liked it and wanted like Idaho. If we could yeah. have stayed forever. No one would ever leave. <laughs> you know, no one would ever leave. So no one would get to go. That's why they don't do it. It's but true. no, just like sometimes, like three mm-hmm. years, maybe five years, you know, at an assignment. Yeah. Yeah. Or it'd be cool if you could do like one, like you got, like everybody got like one, like double up, you know, like yeah, one like time one extension, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Okay. At one point in your career, you can stay somewhere for right. two assignments, double yeah, in the same spot and nothing changes. Yes. That sounds great. Granted. I also then like immediately see how much time Kyle and I would spend obsessing over like when to use that. Yes. You know, and you're like, but what if there's something better? What if, you know, I would like to change it, but obviously there's a better system in place that has worked for hundreds of years. (laughs) Yes. which Yeah. Okay. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I actually wanted to be a teacher until I was like in 11th grade. And then I was like, I think I'm going to be a nurse. And my parents were like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my, you know, my sister and I were just talking about that. And granted, we come from a family of teachers. So I think that's definitely a part of it. But I also think a lot of times, not to speak for you, but like teaching was definitely something that had been like on my radar at different times. And I think sometimes it's, well, when you're a kid, you only know about, you have a finite number of jobs in your head. Yeah. You know about like police officers and firefighters and teachers and doctors and nurses, you know, and it's nobody tells you about all of these like, random things that you can become. Yeah. Thousands of other opportunities. And I think it's, you spend like majority of your life in school. And Mm -hmm. so you just see a teacher all day long and you go, I think I'd like to do that. (laughs) I feel like every kid probably wanted to be a teacher. That's some point at some point. Right. Yeah. Cause they they thought about it. They seem nice. They seem not miserable. That seems to work. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
All right. What is your dream assignment? An assignment where all of my friends can be at the same location. Yeah. Does that count? Yeah. No, it does. <laughs> yes. Like we could all just, the location doesn't matter. I mean, my mom and dad told me that growing up all the time, like home is where you make of it. Like the location doesn't matter. It's the people that you're with. And I find that true in my own life. So I think, yeah, my dream assignment would be all of our close friends just living in a little bubble. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And like, and if it were in Idaho, that'd be great, but yes, yes if it right. happened to be in Boise, Idaho, <laughs> yeah. I would definitely not complain, but sure. if you only get to pick one thing, yes, no, I like that. Okay. Next one is what's your favorite way to relieve stress? I mean, this isn't probably a great answer, but usually when I don't want to be stressed, I just want to like watch something on TV that doesn't like require thinking, like just put it on some binge watch TV show mm-hmm. or some show that Ryan and I are watching. I don't want to talk. I don't want to read. a. I love reading, but I don't want to read a book when I'm stressed because yeah. I'm like, then I have to think about it. I want to do something that requires zero thinking. Turn your brain off. Yep. Yeah. I get that completely. That's how like, I actually haven't been keeping up with them, but that's how like the bachelor usually was for me. It's just couldn't be more mindless. It doesn't take a yes. single brain cell and I'm just going to like watch it and take it in. And, and I mean, I like to run and things like that too, but when I'm running, my brain is just constantly sure. going. Like so you can't run faster than out. I want to do something that requires zero brain cells. Sure. Yep. Okay. If you could tell civilians one thing about male spouse life, what would it be? Oh, I think it's important to note that I chose this life because I chose Ryan, like I chose my husband. And I think that a lot of times we all hear it like, oh, well, you chose this life and you knew what you were getting into, but saying that doesn't help anything. So yes, I mean, even being a military kid, I knew what deployments were like, and I knew what his hours were going to be like, and the things the celebrations and holidays and how things were going to be different and miscommunications, et cetera. But just because I knew all of that, it doesn't make any of those things easier and it doesn't change any of the facts behind it. So I think I would just let people know that if you know someone whose spouse is gone, then just love on them, let them join your family, invite them over for Christmas dinner, because Mm -hmm. if it was you, you'd want someone to do that for you. And I didn't choose this life per se. I chose to be with Ryan. And I yeah. think there's a big difference in that. Oh yeah. I, I think most more. male spouse was, would say the same statement. Sure. Yeah. Because I think it's, you chose this life is silly because it's like, you're implying that I could have not chosen this life. And it's like, well, yeah, if I didn't choose this life, that would mean no Kyle. And that wasn't an option. So like, yeah. I didn't have a choice, you know, like I didn't have a choice if I wanted to marry the love of my life. So here we are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like you choose like the person. Yeah. And so, yeah. Right. Okay. And then last thing, if you have got it, will you leave us with your favorite quote? Can I do two? I was really just really struggling. You may. (laughs) I, I have had a favorite quote for a long time. And then recently something changed and I can explain that. But I would say that my favorite quote for a long time is it's lyrics from like the Marin Morris song, the house don't fall when the bones are good. Yes. Love and it. I just really like, I mean, that applies to every aspect of life, marriage, family, other relationships, your attitude, just about how, if you have a strong foundation, then 
everything else will fall into place. And mm-hmm. I just always loved that quote. But recently, you may have seen it, you may not have, but this girl, Jane, or she goes by Nightbird, was on America's Got Talent. Yeah. Yes, it's been vi- going viral all over the place. Well, anyways, mm-hmm. she was actually in my dorm in college. So I'm like friends with her on Facebook originally. And so this thing pops up and I watch it. And she said this quote in her interview about, you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. And I was just like, well, that mic drop that sums up probably the last year of my life and is just adds a whole new perspective to things. So yeah, gosh, that's so true. And putting it up against this year you've had I loved that quote when I saw her say it too, but you know, that's such a good thing. Cause like you said, it's all the emotions, but you also can't be angry every day. You know, you can't, you can't let that be what it looks like going forward. And that's, that's beautiful. And Marin is also like probably one of my favorite singers of all time. So yeah, highly, it's highly always been like one of my favorites, but then like, yeah, within the last week or so she said that and I was like, Oh wow, that's powerful. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Thank you again so much to Courtney for her openness and just taking the time to walk us through her story. And she shared with us uh, just after we stopped recording, she shared that she was thankful for the opportunity to just explain a little bit more about the the additional side effects of the pandemic and of COVID. And while COVID itself was not not the culprit for everything that her mom went through it was a reason that it was exacerbated and she just wanted to shed light on the fact that there have been so many people impacted in so 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 many ways by this pandemic and and just that other people aren't alone and however they've been touched by this that it's been a tough year and we are we're looking forward and I'm thankful to her for her her openness and her optimism and of course we're continuing to to pray for Courtney's mom and her family and just wishing all good things for them. So thank you all for listening and hearing Courtney's story and we'll talk to you next week.